here we are on a previously just sunny Toronto afternoon. But it's always sunny here and we're always wearing shades because it's we're always cool. That's why. <laughs> right on. Yes. Looking right. good, looking I like good. It. I like it better when the sun's out. Yeah. There's a cloud blocking out the sun, but it'll soon be sunny again. Yeah. So, um, we did do uh, an amazing, amazing... Well, no. Let me rephrase that. This is going to be amazing. Uh, yeah, we did a podcast before, and we didn't know how to use the app, and so we didn't record it. But... Uh, Here's, uh, we'll, we won't replicate that. We'll do something new this time. Yeah. So, um, what are we doing? This is... Tim's first podcast. Tea. Yes. Tea's first podcast. Wait, and the name of it is Spill the Tea. There we go. Spill the Tea. Woo! <laughs> so, we just came up the idea with our good friend Chris today. This afternoon, earlier this afternoon, um, what the podcast will be about and the name, and, and so we decided the podcast will be what that means: spill the tea, like and spill the beans. So, tea stands for triumph or uh, the truth. So, a spill, you know, people with stories. Everybody has a story. Everybody is messed up in one way or another, and not until you're able to start talking about it can healing. Uh, occur. So, did you hit rock bottom and then make your way to the top? Yes, that's the story. It's a you know the underprivileged underdog figure that you know breaks through all odds and actually reclaims their life. Yeah, all those good things they do happen in every people everyday people's lives. Um, and you, and you, for those who are struggling, know that that's only a process, part of the process. There is hope one day you can break free. Hallelujah. Okay, cool. Yeah, so we're going to be... Uh, I'll start... I guess this will be my first story, telling what my story is about spilling the tea. Um, that's my uh, stage name, tea. But, uh, you know, that's what it represents for me, as I said, tr- truth and triumph. Um, so, uh, yeah, but... We'll start with my story and then we'll be interviewing other people's stories and also another meaning is spilling the tea about what's the tr- real truth about what's going on in our world and we'll have different speakers and we'll just converse, converse amongst ourselves with Maha here absolutely and others so uh, I'm yeah. just a cheerleader yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah tell us about yourself Maha because this is you're crucial in this uh, well, this new creative well, endeavor. Well, today is not really about me, but, uh, you know, I, I like... I uh, would like to interview you. Me, yeah. <laughs> I didn't Maha, is a, I just met her a week ago, but she has an amazing story. We've, we've, yeah, I've seen her three times, and the connection between us is just amazing. And, yeah, we relate to life in many uh, correlating ways. So, um, yeah. Yeah, so we have big, big plans already. I mean, uh, getting this podcast started and um, 
it's just it's just a stepping stone and also not just a stepping stone I guess it's it's very crucial to the bigger picture and um, to also a part of, of T's bigger project which we're gonna get into who he is what the bigger project is why we're here uh, what do I do I like I like making superstars of people. Superstar. <laughs> I know, but you're quite the superstar yourself. Well, thank what you. you've told me. You know, what she shared. And we'll go into that yeah, as we go along. So how about let's story not be just about my story. Let's both our stories because okay. we're the creator. Of yeah. So we'll okay, share. so yeah, I mean, what, what, what are my things? I love people. I love, I love, love, I love celebrating life and like I don't know I like getting things done I mean like I by getting things done I don't mean like just menial tasks but I mean like making your dreams come true it's very exciting for me to make dreams come true and like I could I'm a big picture person and I, I feel like in that big picture all the little details are included so you know for me I like to encourage dreaming without limits and like not putting those limits in there. I mean, even in our other conversations, it's like, remember, you gotta do it this way, or, or, or people often speak about their own obstacles or something that they've learned, or someone else made a mistake and they said that you're gonna make that mistake. It doesn't necessarily have to be true. I think that, you know, every moment is new and, and every individual has a new perspective and uh, new ideas, new solutions. Every problem comes with a solution and I'm really into that. Well, well said. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Yeah, Maha, she's quite extraordinary. You know, you only have to meet a person once and you realize there's something different about this person. And, you know, the story goes along with it. You've had come some pretty incredible experiences in your life. I have, indeed. I'm not going to go into them now because that's just, uh, you know, there's a lot. I mean, as we converse, we'll go into, like, I'm sure those moments will arise when we can, like, yeah. fit in the amazing stories as the antidote, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So, this podcast is really about you. Your project, what the podcast is going to be about, our call-outs to our, our, our peeps, who's, who are, who's going to come and be on the podcast and, and share their story and, like, yeah, yeah. inspire other people. Mm. When you said you, I, I, I was thinking you meant it in the singular and the personal, as in me, but I was thinking as, as in the we, right. as in you, the listener that this podcast is about everybody and if you have a good story please contact us we'll have the information how to contact us you would like to be heard we'd love to interview you because we believe everybody has an extraordinary story we're all beautiful miracles and you know and we've all been damaged along the way and we all have insights to share that's the only way we're going to be able to get our world together and and to actually achieve a paradise that we've been told lied to, I believe, that it cannot exist. But I believe it can exist on, on this world. 
if, if oh, each of us uh, uh, share together and, uh, and share each other's sorrows. The group intelligence is much smarter than one single individual or a few group of rich white men or whoever who rules the and world. And also emotional intelligence is a thing too. Oh yeah, yeah. There's the whole, whole being. Right. It's like uh, it's psychic intelligence. How we, yeah, that's we, another thing. How we feel is extremely important, and it's important to acknowledge that because it really it makes up not just our own personal constitution, but it also makes up the fabric of life that we're projecting. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Like, uh, what are your thoughts on being psychic? Do you think people are psychic or not? I knew you were gonna say that. Yeah, and what's your answer? <laughs> I believe. I believe. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, well, it makes sense. What's where we are electromagnetic beings? That cannot be disputed. You, you, you have a measuring device, and you can see there's an electromagnetic magnetic field above every individual, and, and it's quite a large one. Like, and which which of the organs produces that electromagnetic okay. Okay, field the most? Okay. Okay. How about this? How about this? Remember the second time we met? Mm -hmm. Yeah, 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 yeah. How was it? Yeah, yeah, we just, we just, uh, so we met in this, in a studio a week ago, and then uh, on Monday, I, I was invited to, uh, to go to this uh, um, Red Pill group uh, meeting, a uh, bunch of lovely uh, middle-aged and older uh, group that like to discuss things through an out-of-the-box perspective, and on the way. The subway station I get into from I took the bus. My van is on the in the mechanic uh, until now. So um, who knew? So I, I was taking the bus or the tram TTC, and uh, at the station, walking down the stairs to the subway, uh, the whatever you call the platform. Uh, there's Maha. <laughs> She's walking right next to me with sunglasses on, and I like turn and she said hi. I was like, I know this person, but um. I can't Who remember. are you? Yeah, yeah. Where do I know you from? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You look very familiar. Well, I don't Did know. you change your dress? It was like a dream. <laughs> yeah. So, so that's one example of psychic connection. Absolutely. And, and, and but back to electromagnetic field of humans. You know, it, the, the the organ that produces the greatest electromagnetic field is not your brain. It's your heart. Your heart. Our hearts connects, and and the electromagnetic fields of each person interacts with each other and this in this field can be measured like for insane amount away I don't know if it's a mile or something like that it's like of each person one's heartbeat can measure it up to like a mile away so that's it's amazing I've, I've had lots of experiences about that which I'll get into one time too but that day when we ran into each other at the train station so this is the situation um, I was at that Main Street station and I was actually hanging out with a friend and that's why I was there. It wasn't like that's somewhere that's close to my home or... Yeah, your circumstances were extraordinary too. Usually right. I have a vehicle to get around with and you, and you usually live downtown or something. Right, yeah. right. And so, um, and... On my way there, I was praying about, like, what am I going to do uh, today? And, you know, was it, um, like, I thought earlier on in the day, oh, I should get up and go now. And then it was like, no, 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 just chillax because everything is on time. There's no, you know, if you start stressing out about I should do this or I should do that, then you're not on your time. 
There's two different types of time. There's Chronos and there's Kairos. Kairos is synchronicity. So you're always making your events. You're always making those connections. And then the, the other, like, time of the watchers doesn't actually exist. It starts to fall away. So yeah, it's it's the moment when your your inner and outer worlds coalesce. So that's synchronicity. Yeah, and that's eternity. Yeah, right. And that's yeah, an that's eternal. The, the other in the, the in Christian speak, that's the kingdom of God. Mm-hmm. So we, you know, uh, Tim and I ran into each other that day. I am also a member of the Red Pill group. And uh, so I was able to take Tim down to that group. Yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah, and yeah, she hung out with me and had, and then we went out and then we did the podcast after that. Yeah, so, we did the first podcast yeah, after that, that. We didn't record. <laughs> yeah, which was great still though, because it was such a, and those, those types of meetings and those types of events really increase our bonding. Yeah, yeah, and meaning in life. You feel like, yeah. hey, I'm being directed by a higher force than myself. You know, I'm not in it alone. Or your higher self. Yeah. When you when you give up on your ego, your ego can, can't direct shit. But it, you, if you let the higher, the higher pure force, which is rep, represented for me by the highest good, which is which is selfless love, and yeah. To, to, yeah. to yourself and others. And I'm also into purpose and destiny. So I like... And I, and I, I love being... I love being... Uh, I love knowing that I'm taken care of. And how we're supposed to take care of ourselves isn't necessarily the way that we're taught. Like... You know, we don't have to arrange everything. If we actually let go, all those things are taken care of on our behalf. And we, like children, can enjoy and play with what what our life purpose is already created for us to enjoy and play. And I think that joy and play is such a high frequency that you're actually living in a different realm at that time or even if it's outside of time so I'm not going to even yeah, use that that's time. you know another the phrase another I was raised Christian so this is where I get my tradition from but I'm not really I don't subscribe to any religion I just know what's truth and what's right for me and that's the like selfless love um, but uh, that's what you were just describing is what the saying in Christian speak is let let go let God yeah absolutely so I like that he, you keep bringing it back to Christian speak I mean I'm a believer however I don't really uh, I don't have to address everything in that context although I am addressing everything in that context right like I love the phrase let go and let God but there's a lot of non-believers and they don't like that word God or maybe somehow that word has been corrupted so that people don't they they turn, turn away from God and I think that in itself that's, that's how, I, it's, as, uh, it's actually uh, kind of like a evil game that's been played against us to hate the things that are good for us actually 
I love the things that are not good for us. Like what? Well, even like, you know, there's a lot of like, you know, deception around what or who God is. Right, and so right. there's a lot of people that think that God's punishing God or like what happened to, you know, like one of the issues that we're going to be talking about in a little while, like uh, what happened at the residential schools or with the native uh, population oh, in, yeah, yeah, yeah. in Canada. So what ends up happening, people hate that God of the Bible. Right, 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 right. Right? And that's kind of like by, by, a when, force when of evil say, to make you hate that this God. This is what we discussed yeah. last conversation, podcast, that didn't get recorded, um, was, uh, was, was the God of the Bible. And uh, I had contention that the God of the Bible is really a two-faced God. You get, it's a schizophrenic God. You got a, a vengeful, hateful God, Punisher, and then you get the figure of Jesus, which is absolutely embodiment of, that's the God that I believe in, is, the, is the Jesus, what he represented, the self-giving, selfless love. And, um, yeah, but you, you said there was, it was the one God you, you were thinking. Yeah, I mean, I'll get into that later, because it is a deep, Topic, right? It's not like it's not like a superficial thing that you can touch upon and just like. Oh, okay. You know, because I mean, it's it's just not. So there needs to be a lot of references and a lot of re. Uh, like for me, I've studied the Bible also in the Hebrew language. Oh. And I don't actually just go by a seminary interpretation because that, that's a repeated thing. It's, it's not even something that people research. It's like, oh, I heard it. It's a word of mouth. And I go to seminary. And just like our elementary schools, I just learn to memorize something and repeat it. Well, you know, the Holy Spirit says, or the, the Bible says that you need no man to be your teacher except for the Holy Spirit to be your teacher right that's perfect and so you know the Holy Spirit or God can like the word without spirit is death right but only the spirit gives life so revelation comes by the spirit and through experiencing it and walking in faith it's not just like you can read it and then just interpret it on a superficial level at all because as much as deep as you want to go with the Bible there's there it's got layers right you can you can go as deep as you want or just be as shallow as you want so you know I don't really get into a lot of the conversations until we're ready to go there right okay all right cool so what you're saying is that I have a uh a uh, ignorant, shallow, shallow uh, <laughs> view of the Bible. I'm not saying you do, but uh, uh, you might. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. It sounded like genocide to me. The, the, God was promoting genocide or commanding them, the Israelites, to commit genocide. That's not God wor I worship. No. I don't think you do either. No. But, uh, you know, the English translation and the Hebrew translations are quite different. Mm. 
so that's why I don't want to talk about that until okay. we've like you looked to, at the actual. Enlighten me someday. Yeah, well, we'll do it together so oh, okay. that you can see it yourself. And do it right? on the podcast. Yeah, why not? Okay, there we go. Yeah. I'll you be know, podcast number whatever. Yeah, <laughs> right? So there's that. Okay, so this first podcast, I guess we're going to talk about really uh, Tim. All right. And uh, what your dreams and aspirations are, where you're coming from, where you're going, what powers and gifts and talents you have. And, uh, you know, not that it's necessary that people do something to change the world, because I really don't believe in that at all. Um, I believe that you can only change your perspective and change yourself. And, um, you know, be the change that you want to see. Otherwise, you're going around pointing the finger and that, or trying to change something externally, and that's a slippery slope. Yeah, yeah, all all change. It's it's terrible. It it can lead to disaster very quickly because you just, once you start criticizing, you just don't know when to stop. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. Change comes from within. And uh, how you get to that change. The external way you do it is all up to you. I, I guess some might say my, my, I did it in a very dramatic way, but I'm a kind of a dramatic, theatrical kind of guy. Like yeah, you can say that go, again. Go big or go home. So. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> but yeah, no, how you get there can be in any way. As long as you get there, that's the main thing. That uh, you come to a place of peace in your heart and you are loving yourself and you're loving others. That's basically it. And actually, all of that is really an amazing platform to start from. Love yourself, love others, have love in your heart. Like, just love, be love. You are love, so be in love. It, and you, it is all love. Anything that goes against that, you have to be honest with yourself. What did I do? do? Was that really loving? And, you know, and, and often it's a shade of gray. And you have to have faith that you're, you're, you're doing the best you can. But... And that there's like, love, and that there's forgiveness always. Yeah, as well. yeah. You have to and, be able to forgive yourself before we can forgive others. Yeah, and that there's always every problem, like I said, has a solution. So even, you know, always believe. Like for me, I always have to see the positive. Like, okay, everything is turned to the good for those who believe and are called to a purpose. That's what the Bible says, right? In or what? It says, um, all things are turned to the good. For those who believe and are called to their purpose. Oh, I see. To their purpose? Yeah. So if you already know your purpose and you're a believer in, you know, in the Word. Yeah. And, or you have faith, then those things that were like a thorn in your side can all be turned to like an extreme positive. Like, you know, we should get to the place where we actually love all the things that we used to hate right that's really transformation that's really transfiguration or it be at peace with it right but even like to the point where if you did it if you had a choice would you do it again you should be able to say yes instead of having right right because because you got to that beautiful place inside yeah that's that's uh as you get older that's what you have to live with who am I on the inside? My outer appearance is going to shit, but at least my inner part oh, is yourself. beautiful. 
happens to everybody. There's no Not, denying it. No. No one's gonna stay I, beautiful body uh, until. A beauty they... is in the eye of the beholder. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. If you like, if you like death and decay. <laughs> it doesn't necessarily have to happen. Just because you see it happening, uh, you're actually allowing that to continue to you're, happen. You're, you're calling for a new step up of evolution of humanity. Correct. Yeah, yeah. Is there anything wrong with that? No, no. go for it. No, that's <laughs> humans have been trying to do that for thousands of years, and so some of them may have succeeded. Totally. Uh, succeeded. Absolutely. Gone into their astral body or something, or. Well, you know, like I was saying, all, you know, the emotional intelligence also has different frequencies, right? Right. And so you're able to produce a different outcome. You have different superpowers when oh. you're at different frequencies. You yeah. Can, you, you know, there are people that don't eat. They're, you know, breatarians. How yeah, are yeah, they yeah. able to do that and still look good or, or living be by strong? Light, living or, on exactly. Light. Yeah. Right? Yeah, I read a book on that and the guy's... Sound incredible. So, I mean, you know, we're saying, I, I believe, like, I'm kind of into the four-minute mile where if someone did it once, then all these people were able to do it. Right, 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 yeah, yeah. Right? And I see, I've, I've like, done some studies about people doing miracles. Well, if they can do it, hey. Yeah. You can do it. And it, that's it, what the whole Bible is about. If Jesus can do it, you can do it. He said these things and greater things you shall do too, right? Yeah, and the, and quantum... Uh, theory proved it with a double slit experiment depending right, on the, 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 the observer effect right who's ever observing will their own bias will affect the outcome that's what i'm saying so i will remain youthful and gorgeous forever In instead of death and decay right oh okay you know what i mean yeah well yeah yeah the, the, the like you can mm -hmm. Right? It's also what you're feeding yourself and it's like you're looking at something, but what do you actually see? Right. Right? Like the whole yeah, thing yeah. is to it's find the beauty in everything. Yeah. And then if you just train yourself to continue to see the beauty in yeah. everything, that's what you will see. Right, right, right. That's right. right. And, and, and other people, other sentient beings, sentient for me means a little... A little spectacle of God, like where I believe we're all little bits of God's awareness that's in different, through different perspectives. And so that if you're for your own personal spec, and we're affected by each, everybody else's perspective, especially those we love the most or most connected to. Yes. But, or actually even the people that are in authority. We may not oh, even love yeah. the people who, who that fear, are. Who we right, fear. Exactly. Fear and love are two sides of the same coin. Right. So even like sometimes we give over our power to someone yeah. that we think has that power. Like even yeah. a teacher. And, and so or then even we, like the Stockholm Syndrome. We start creating right? that reality. Yeah, exactly. We, we became uh, that ugly person they told us we were. Right. So back to like, well, if that's okay, we're branching off, and that's all good. We'll bring it back. Yeah, um, yeah. About your story. So let's look at the big picture. What is it um, that? I mean, you're working on a, a couple of amazing projects right now. Yeah. Right? Um. The one that has inspired this podcast is by you telling your story of overcoming. Right. So let's start with that story. Sure. Um, so what happened? 
Who are you? When did it all begin? Uh, Why you were born where? I was born in Kamloops, BC. Mm -hmm. And I was born because um, my dad wanted another boy. He had two boys and so my, um, I was the last born. And uh, yeah, I grew up uh, Kamloops in BC is in the interior of BC. It's a bit of a in between the uh, culture of Alberta and culture of the west coast of BC, which is very liberal. So it's you know kind of a hick town. <laughs> it is, but it is very. Nice. Oh, you've been there. Oh yeah, yeah. of course. Oh okay, yeah. We're, yeah, both, we're both from BC. Yeah. yeah. And um, yeah. Anyway, so my dad was of the hick variety. He grew up in Saskatchewan. <laughs> Uh, German heritage and um, yeah very very much like a Hitler in the home he was very authoritarian and um, he only gave me the strap on my bare butt three times but I was in fear of him every day really and, yeah yeah and you know just you cannot speak you we, we were spoken to. We were not, we're not allowed to speak to ourselves. How about when you were really young? Did he hang yeah. out with you and play with you? Or? No, no, he, he didn't really. He's very hard to get close to. He didn't show us his love. He Later on, I hated him for years, and that's what precipitated my getting into a, um, a difficult situation in my later teens. And so what about your mom? What was she like? Oh, she's she was quite the opposite. She was beautiful, kind person, thought of others. She was the very embodiment of Christ. She was like an angel. Mm. And, uh, and I found it recently that, that she just became like that um, I, like a couple years before she had me. Oh. Like, because she started going to women's Bible study. Oh, wow. And, and that, then the woman there really impressed her because the See, woman she met... the word is really good for you. The, the people, no, is their example. They, <laughs> yeah. you know, they, they, these women, one was like uh, uh, rescuing uh, um, orphans, right. you know, and, and helping them get to good homes. Like, she helped like uh, almost 100 kids over her lifetime. Mm -hmm. You know, so she has, saw this example of other people giving. Mm -hmm. my, my, my mom was always you know, d depressed because of her situation. She got married at a young age to a guy who did not reveal who he really was until a week before they well, got married. Really? Like, how did they she, meet? And, like, how did they... Was she in love with him? Uh, yeah, yeah. She swept her off her feet because she was good-looking. And she was, you know, sort of... Her sister was the blonde, beautiful one, looked like Marilyn Monroe, and she was the the not-so-pretty sister who had bad eyes. She always wore oh. glasses, and she was a brunette. Right. And so she felt insecure, and this guy was the first guy that said he loved her, and so... Right. And how old was she when she got married? She was uh, 20, and he was 19. Or no, 20 and, 21 or 20. She was a year older than him. Okay. And she met him. He was in the army, and he, um, he, he got injured because he was trying to be an elite... Um, I don't know what kind of elite soldier, I guess. Oh, and so really? they, they, he was in his, they put him through harsh treatment. Like, have to survive in the wilderness for six weeks on your own kind of thing. What about your grandparents? Oh, Did they. Did you ever meet them? Yeah, yeah. Not my grandma. My grandma died on my father's, my father's mother uh, died when I was one years old, a baby. She met me, but I don't remember her. Mm -hmm. And she, she was, his parents were German descent, and his mother was, um, bipolar and probably schizoaffective disorder or outright schizophrenia she was a little crazy quite a bit and very violent 
and his dad was you know was hard German and uh, and nearly killed him one time with a two by four for uh, for because dad was using his tools he said don't ever use my tools but that his dad forgot that he asked him to do it so it's like and this this pattern repeated us growing up my dad would accuse us of doing stuff when he was like did him himself like there was the muddy shoes over the carpet in the basement it's like who did this and he, he hit, hit my brother beat my brother and and you know and he didn't he beat my brother more than he beat me and uh and and, and he forgot it was him he came home like two hours earlier and he That's he, terrible yeah i know he made wine and he the, he was in the roof and cellar where he made wine and the fumes got to his head he was out of his mind no way but he just punched my brother it was like Ouch. 15 at the time punched him in the chest and he went flying across the room and smacked into the glass screen disgusting yeah so what happens with men like like that like i'm asking because i don't have testosterone maybe i do but not as much right right um is it like a rage that takes over or you think yeah. it's also from like uh is it like a blind rage or you think it's from like military training or like what well yeah well that? that for him it was an example and uh from both his mother and his father right and uh and then also the military training was very traumatic on him he he uh ran away from home when he was 14 uh, he, he only went to school two or three months out of the year because he, he, he was a farm slave basically from the age of five and um, he was the eldest of, his, of the kids and so he was supposed to set a, an example or something and, um, and so anyways his, his mother beat him almost every night for the stupidest things that's terrible and, uh, and, and so he at 14 he, he ran away from home and while his mother was it was winter time while his mother was out in the outhouse and he set the outhouse on fire before he left and she came yeah who knows did she, did she explode no no she, she got out of there she, but she was yeah he was, he was far down the track by the time she, she was worried about being set on fire than looking for him right and then she never looked for him I don't know. He 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 was he was he uh, got by as a farmhand for two years, living home from farmhand farm from farm to farm, and he was able to save up enough money to eventually pay for himself to a private Catholic school. And his high, highest academic uh, level he ever got was grade ten. And wow. then and then he when he was eighteen, and then he joined the army for three years. Wow. So um, when you were growing up or going through that, did you ever feel like you wanted to retaliate in the same manner, or how did you stop the cycle? Um, I, I grew up. I never wanted to be like my dad because I saw how good my mom was, and that really got me thinking: How can the, be, the world be so fucked up? How old were you when you were thinking these thoughts? I uh, probably seven, eight. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Before then, no, even before that, even five years old. Yeah, I was just like, what is wrong with the world? How can there be such beauty and, and you know, goodness and such, you know, fucked upness? I can't say I have a better word, <laughs> you know? Right. And, and so it, it started questioning, you know, and I, I was a Christian, strong Christian, and, until I was 10 years old, I guess. And then, uh, and then I started realizing the Bible does not make sense. It's just as fucked up as the rest. 
you know, it has the goodness of that in my, I see my mom, but it has a lot, the badness I see my dad too. So it's like got me questioning, questioning, questioning. Well, it doesn't necessarily mean it's the word, but it could be, I mean, human folly. And, of course, you know, humans like, write the books. Whatever humans touch is, is, uh, is not perfect. They don't no. think because we make an AI machine and that it's going to be perfect either. It's just a reflection of ourselves. So Artificial intelligence. Yeah, really, you want to be yourself, your own monster slave that you created, the monster? So okay, so you grew up in a in an abusive environment where abuse you, is abusive and loving and loving and uh, fear of your, in fear of your father. Yeah, and guilt. What's the guilt? I got from? the guilt from my mom. About what? I think it was because I saw how good she was, and I thought that's the only thing that could save. Because I prayed for my dad uh, until few years before he died and he eventually did become Christian but I pray for him to become a Christian for like 10 years uh, or more and um, and because I really believe that could make the difference in our world and in him and um, then uh, what was the question sir? We were talking about um you growing, growing up in a loving and in an abusive home. Yeah. And being, you know, in fear of your father. And then you. Yeah, break. Oh, yeah, guilt, guilt. Guilt. And the guilt from my mom was because. Because I, I read the Bible four times in my youth. And, uh, and, I, uh, and I believe that I felt guilty because. I knew my mom would not approve, and therefore Jesus wouldn't approve of what I was doing sexually. Oh. With my brother. Okay. So you, you understand why the podcast is called "Spill the Tea"? Starting to get that. I understand now. Oh. <laughs> Were you spilling the tea with your brother? Huh? <laughs> well, we didn't get that far. We didn't know we could do that back then. But if we, I'm sure, if we knew we oh. could do it. We would be, would have been so doing you were it. feeling guilty. Uh, about yeah, my my brother, my my brother, my brother. Different people, different different folks, different strokes, even within fa own families. Okay. You know, so my brother did not. You know, my brother actually liked my dad more than my mom. He he was thought my dad. He became my dad 2.0. Really? Yeah, and and not so so much the bad ways, but in a lot of the similar ways. Okay. And um. Yeah. Thank you. And um, and and he didn't think he 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 told me the last time we did it he was nine and I was uh, seven, and uh, and uh, or eight and he was he 10. was nine what he, yeah he was two years older than me okay. he, I was nine or he, I was seven or he was ten and I was eight I think I was eight so he must have been ten okay and um, he said oh uh, don't worry about it I'm just practicing for girls okay <laughs> you know and so how did you guys end up. So, that. but, so, but he, he didn't feel any guilt at all. I, this was haunting me. For me, it started when I was four years old. And, you know, and it, it didn't, it was fine until I was about five. Then I started getting this awareness. My mom would not be happy about it. I read it in the Bible. This is sin, you right. know, you know, and I was feeling horribly guilty for it. And it, it just, for me, it felt good. We, we shared the same bed and, you know, what's this new were you, organ? Were you sexually... Aware? Um, 
or no, you just felt no, good no, as it's just, like a, it's just you like, just didn't know you didn't, like, you didn't know this this humping stimulating this this wee wee feels good okay so kids do know that at that age yeah of course I mean I don't know I mean I mean I don't know because you know there's some there, there's that whole thing with uh, sex education right now and the whole push towards pedophilia because they're saying that kids uh, know at a young age or that they like it, right? Right. And that's the whole premise on what they're doing that. Right, right. Right, like... But I don't think kids are old enough to know what they're, they like, or it's just like... Well, it's, it's just that they, they, they uh, don't know the repercussions of what they do. And so uh, they don't know that every action has... They just know what feels good in the moment. Right. right? And, uh, and so, you know, it, you know, as an adult, you have to be very responsible that you don't scar the child children. And so, yeah. And okay, so you're five and you start becoming aware that that's not there. Is that what's going on now? Uh, yeah, yeah. And that tormented me just as much as my dad's uh, aggressive um, and uh, fear-imposing behavior. Right. So how often was, were you involved with your brother? And so that was that torment then building up as well, that guilt? Uh, yeah, yeah. It haunted me. The, the, the two things, my things I would think about at night was, oh, my God, um, my dad's such a prick and I uh, hate life. He's not allowed to have a happy childhood. And then I'd feel the guilt. But you aren't so good either, you, you know, you bastard. Those would be thoughts in my head. The what? You weren't. You weren't. You aren't so good yourself, you bastard. Talking to yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The okay. guilt, right? Right, right, right. Yeah. But you were that harsh. Yeah, yeah. I'm sensitive child. I'm, you know, I'm a musician. I, 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 I'd be. My dad would often yell at me. Get your head out of. You're always lost in space. You know. Right. Because I'd be always thinking about this stuff when I was four or five years old. How did you do at school? I was a B student. Yeah. And so, could you talk to your mom about this stuff? Um, I tried to, and she, she's a, you know, beautiful person, but highly brainwashed. Um, um, just by society and about what's right, and she doesn't, she, she just doesn't think outside the box. Right. Really. Sometimes she has her moments and they're beautiful, but often it's not the whole story. And that's that's why she never loved me completely. It was this great image of an angel, but not completely there. And none right. of us are. Yeah, right. right. Some some are more so than others. So then you go to school, you've got this guilt and you got this fear. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then what happened? When did you decide that you were going to become a musician? Um, well, I, I, uh, my dad, um, I think with a little bit of um, manipulation, intelligent manipulation from my mother, uh, said, you guys need a hobby, so I started piano when I was five. And then uh, my grandpa, my, my dad's father, um, uh, was what played about in instruments in a umpapa monthly farm band like okay 
in Saskatchewan. And so he played all these different instruments and he was visiting his cousin in this in North Dakota and uh, he's found was going through his garage and noticed the cello and said, Hey, can I have a you know, because he thought he could pick it up, but his he had his had farmer's hands. His fingers were like sausages, he couldn't figure it out. So he was trying to pawn it off my dad. I thought they were talking about the jello, I was seven years old, and I said, I want that. I'd already been playing piano and quite good at it for two years. And so they thought, oh, he wants a cello, there you go. My dad, grandpa sold to my dad for $200. It's the same cello I have today. That's amazing. Yeah. And so then you start playing? Yeah. At the cello at eight and continue with the piano. And um, I quickly soon realized that because of my unstable home situation, and I'd say both my parents were very honest people, hardworking, good traits, good virtues, but they didn't have many social skills, especially my dad. Right. Yeah, they weren't outgoing people. And, and yeah, and so I didn't really learn how to relate to other people. And also because of my dad's strong German heritage, didn't fit so comfortably with uh, Anglo-Saxon Canada. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Canadian culture. Yeah. It didn't really... It was foreign to my dad and so it was foreign to us boys, too. Right. So then uh, you grow up and now you're in high school and then... And I have no friends. Um, <laughs> when I left Kamloops, I had some friends, but I was already starting to feel it at 10 when I left Kamloops, moved to Vancouver and to totally different culture on the west coast of BC than the interior of BC. And, um, and these kids, uh, yeah. It's the picking started on by the nerds of the class in grade seven. By the nerds? By the nerds. What? The two- That's reverse. No, it, like they, they, you could tell one of them, they, they, they had fathers that were like Freemasons or something. Looking back in retrospect, they, you know, they, they were connected. They were more upper middle class and they, uh, but total nerds, but you know, they then they were wicked. They like uh, harassed me one summer after grade seven doing a prank phone calls and give death threats and all this stuff. <laughs> like they had nothing better to do than to torment me. This is terrible. Yeah, yeah. Did you go home crying? I had nobody to cry to, I just had to keep it in. My mom was working all the time, and my dad didn't care. And you know, he said, you know. You know, buck up, Chuck. You know, just you suck it up. You know, he, he, didn't, he didn't give any counseling of that. You were, he already called me a faggot because I like classical music and, you know. Your dad did? Yeah. Yeah. And then, oh, that's pretty harsh. Yeah. And then, um... And, so and all the kids at school were, were like, saying that I too. mean, you're not a very small person. Were you like average? I was, I was skinny. Okay. And, and I slouched back then. Okay. I, I, I didn't believe in myself because mm -hmm. nobody else did. Mm -hmm. Except for my classical music. That's the only thing they believed in me. Right. So, you didn't have any friends. You were bullied. Yeah. In grade 8, grade 9, grade 10. Grade 7, grade nine, grade 8, grade 9. And then I, I I, was so bullied. I was fearful for, for my life. Wow. And that's going to be in the first movie. Uh, what, the reason why. I won't give it away now. But, um, <laughs> but then I homeschooled for two years. And I, uh, I was free from school system. I completed the work. 
the day I calculated to be, I did the, the amount of time I spent at school, eight hours, I was able to do all that, the academic work in two hours or less. Right. And, um, and I finished, for first uh, year, grade 10, I finished in uh, about six months, I finished the year. But I had so much tough free time during the day, nobody to hang out with, all alone at home, I didn't have any friends. They were all at school. But I didn't have any friends at school anyway in grade nine. I had no friends at all. So I, well, but the friends I had were in music, but they were on the other side of the city. And, uh, you know, I, so as alone, I got so depressed, you know. And what did I do to, to uh, pass time? I'd fantasize and, you know, sexually fantasize too, and then feel guilty about that. Right. <laughs> And then, so what happened by graduation? So, so uh, grade 12, after grade 11, I, I couldn't take any more. I knew this was not healthy. So I got into another school in a different district. And so, and so none of the people that knew me at, in the junior high in my, where I lived would know me at the other school. And, and I think only one other person did. Uh, didn't know me well. So. And then you graduate, and then what happens? Yeah, so grade 12 was a good year for me, uh, relatively. I, I actually made a friend, the coolest kid in my opinion, well, cool. in, in, the, in the high school. He was, he was a musician, a good musician, damn good. He, he's gone on to good things. What, what did he play? Uh, uh, drums and uh, guitar. At that time it was just a guitar, but he's getting in the drums and he's become known as a good drummer. He's, I forget the names of the people he's played with, but touring acts, big acts. And uh, awesome guy. He he looked like um, Jim Morrison. Oh yeah. Yeah yeah. But 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 with the with little the mustache, little goatee, and he smoked weed and did drugs. He was a cool guy and he was peaceful. He's a hippie. Right. His father was a hippie and yeah. Lots of hippies in Vancouver. Yeah yeah yeah. And so he, I was like, and he and he saw that was awkward, but he liked that as a good musician, and he brought me into a circle. Right. I'd sneak out at night. And, right. And also that year, that uh, high school year, I, uh, I met, my, had my first girlfriend. And she was also homeschooling. She was two years younger than me. And uh, yeah, that's when I became a man. Right. And like, how long did you date her for? For two years. But we were only together, started dating in March of my grade 12 year. And, uh, and then I left for Alberta to study with a professor. Not just study, wink, wink. Um, in uh, September, so March, this March, April, uh, May, June, July, August. So we had six months together before I. It was a long distance relationship. And while I was away, I got involved with the professor, which started for the two years, and then uh, and also I got involved with another girl when I came back to Vancouver right. for a little fling. <laughs> so I was a bastard. You... I, I rebelled. I, I, I had enough after grade 12. It's like, I'm going to do my way. going to be away from my dad. That's why I went to Alberta. I wanted to be out from his sphere. And I hated him. And, um, and so then I wanted to do everything I wasn't supposed to do. I was rebelling against Christianity. I wanted everything I wasn't supposed to do. And I fucked up my life. Well, or so you don't I thought. know that yet. So I thought. That's, right. I th there was, until I realized that yeah, every lemon can be turned into lemonade. Lemonade! <laughs> um, okay, so 
after graduation, you decide to go to Alberta. Like, how did you decide to work with this prof, or why go to Alberta as opposed to uh, anywhere else? Because a year before, in uh, when I was seventeen, he this professor came from uh, came to Vancouver to do master class and a concert, and uh, and so. Uh, I, I played for him in the master class. I was chosen among the uh, Vancouver's elite up-and-comer students uh, to perform with him, or to have a lesson with him, master class with him. And uh, that's where a student plays a piece, and then the the, the master um, uh, gives him a, a critiques and gives him suggestions how to improve the song in front of the other. Uh, cellists, uh, the other group of musicians, okay. right? So everybody shares and sees, learns from your mistakes, basically. Right. And and you can get this wisdom from this master, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And and so he uh, after the class, and he, he was the first African American man I ever got to know and meet, and first gay man I ever met as well. And so Did after you know he was gay when you first met him. Oh yeah, you could tell the way okay. he talked. In the way he acted, it was obvious. Yeah, he could not hide it if he wanted to. And um, and so after the class, I talked to him. Uh, I heard that he had studied in Germany and sent some of his students to Germany. And I was thinking that would be a good option for me, because my parents weren't rich. And my dad had no intentions of funding a. Uh, me to let go like to an elite school in Canada or the States which a lot of my peers they had families willing to do that and able to do that right Right. like 25,000 a year at Harvard or, or Yale or something right no, not Harvard but Yale so you would have gone on a scholarship or like how uh, no no I, I didn't get a scholarship because it wasn't connected right so but you know, like how a, would, a lot of my peers had connections uh, right parents. but I mean like how would you have gone to Germany like what would oh what that he was the connection right but what, like you wouldn't pay anything the Germany has free education you don't pay any tuition oh. for for all foreigners you just no way yeah you have to be able to get past the audition and so you know he he knew of professors that he because he studied got his degree in Germany one of his degrees and so his colleagues were now the profs at universities. He could, he could have become a prof at, uh, they're called Hochschules, high schools for music. Really? Hochschule for music. He could have if he wasn't black. If he was white, he could have. Oh, but, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's very racist. It was. It probably still is. But the only reason why he wasn't qualified, he was good enough. He had the same education, but because he was black, he could not teach in a government uh, Hochschule. Wow. Yeah. And so he, so he, he, uh, this is early 80s. He, um, he spent eight years in Germany in total. And uh, in the early 80s, he, he instead, he didn't get a, a place at a Hochschule, but a private music school hired him. Okay. And so he had, uh, he taught there, I think, two years after his degree. And then, uh, and then he just didn't like the situation. He, th- there was a few, uh, neo-Nazi bombings in the early 80s in Western Germany. And so he said, this place is, he wanted to get that out of Dodge. So he had tired of the racism. Wow. So he came back to Montreal and then he got offered to uh, be a professor in Medicine Hat, Alberta um, for 90 grand a year. 
90,000 a year is when he, how he came out there. Because he's like, he was used to big city life, you know, traveling. He was touring too, so, but he was able to tour outside of Madison Hat. So. Right. And uh, so he had this illustrious career in Medicine Hat for big fish in a small pond for 10 years right. until he met me. Right. And then he fucked up my life and I fucked up his. <laughs> okay, so you guys meet and you have that experience with him. You introduce yourself. Then what happened? You find um, out. So, so we, he said we'll stay in contact. And so after I graduated high school, I, um, I went to... Uh, he, he taught at a summer music school on Vancouver Island, uh, Shawnigan Lake, and um, and uh, he he asked if I would join him there, and so I joined him there for I think it was three weeks, and then uh, then I came back on the ferry, dropped me off at my parents' house, and then two weeks later, my parents drove me out to Medicine Hat and moved me into my dorm room room unit there. Then uh, two, two weeks after, I was on my own in my dorm room. I barely spent a night in my no dorm room again for the next two years because I was over at his house sleeping in his bed. So it only took you two weeks to get two into weeks. his bed? Yeah. Okay, so how old are you now? 18. And so what happened? And you were like, first, are you meeting outside of his home? And then no, we, how do you we, end up going to we, his we, home? We first went to the college and had a lesson in his uh, office. Okay. And then, or in the, in the, somewhere in the school, I forget. Okay. And, uh, and then he, you know, he, you know, I wanted to get to Germany in a year. Right. And, you know, and so you have to do intensive course and he was willing to do that. Okay. You know, and yeah, I soon figured out that he was willing to do that because he was sexually attracted to me. Right. And uh, and so um, and so I was over at his house, and I was so insecure at the time. And, like, how uh, did you get to his house? He invited you, or yeah, yeah, did to give lessons because instead of you know we could do three lessons a week. He said three lessons a week were what we're gonna do, need to do if you're gonna get to Germany in a year. Okay. And um, and so I was game to do that. And so and so it's better if I just came over to his house. He said then. Him having right. to go to the school and, and me going to school because I had to walk carrying my cello. Right. And so uh, if I just left the cello at his house, I could practice there and, and right. have lessons there. Right. And so, uh, yeah. And so, you know, after a bad a lesson we had in his basement, um, three-hour lesson, and it was horrible. He, he totally, he was schooled in the Prussian method. Uh, the European method of uh, breaking down a student, destroying their ego, mm -hmm. and then you then you mold them up into the image you want them to be. Mm -hmm. it's, tra it's through trauma traumatization. Right. That's that's what our uh, Western civilization is based on. Yeah, our Built education on. system yeah. is based on that. Yeah, sure. and and the Prussian system is where it all began. Yeah. Uh, Two hundred years ago or something, and mm -hmm. hundred and fifty years ago, I don't know. And then it, uh, and it's. And this was in, in the extreme. Mm -hmm. You know, this is why I was getting away. I was thinking, oh, I, I'll be safe. I won't get away from my dad. If I get an African-American gay man, it'll be totally away from my dad. Right. But I wasn't thinking, hey, this guy studied in Germany. Maybe he's just like, right. Germany is like, he's worse than my dad. Because right. my dad wasn't that yeah, educated. You actually, you actually went for your dad again. My, my, my dad, yes. It was my dad in, in extreme form. I wasn't extreme, I wasn't afraid right. of physical violence. 
of my dad hitting me, I was extreme. The mental, I was never experienced mental torment like I did under this guy. Right. He fucked with my mind. Right. He, he continually deconstructed all my things that I held dear to my ego, right? Right. Uh, you to know, your I, ego or yeah. to your heart? So, I mean, if he deconstructed stuff that like, you held he, dear he, to your ego, do you think he, that's That's why he messed bad? with my mind because I he made me, I, I'd be first resistant to him, but then eventually after two years, I was agreeing with him, yes, this is the way I operate. You know, I hold my mom an ideal because she's the one who really has control over me, not my dad. My dad is actually somebody who's, you know, my he's trying to put my dad, reverse it for me. My dad was the bad guy. My mom was the good guy. Stable. Sorry, you were saying how you were how you were deceiving him in your mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because because I was leading him on. I would right. stop saying that I was like. Uh, you stop saying that. I you stopped were. saying uh, like um, affirming that I am straight. Stop calling me bisexual or gay. Right. You know, I I was very offended by that the first semester. When I came back, then I realized that I had to make this work. You know, just do however long it took for me to get to Germany. Then I would be out of his hair. Right and uh, and because um, then I'd be out of my father's hair too because then I'd be my own person mm -hmm. and uh, and so I, I bit the bullet and so I had to lead him on that I was actually starting to admit to myself that I was now at least a little bi so I I started to let they confirm affirm that to him I said can we try anal sex and you initiated I, that yeah yeah. I don't know, um, are you gonna get anything else? I'm good, thanks. I might get something else. Um, can I get a um, Can I get a left? Yeah. Yes, where were we? So we're talking about uh, anal sex. Right. <laughs> Where were we? Anal sex. Spill the tea. <laughs> Spill the tea tea. <laughs> yeah, and so, um, yeah. And so I did it, and I uh, I never knew you could do anal sex before. And You I, did it? No. I was, I didn't even know how to masturbate until I was 19. Shut up. Yeah. I didn't know it just could come out of your dick. I mean, I mean, I didn't know until later either. No. <laughs> <laughs> sure you. <did. laughs> you know, I was naive, very naive. And so, um, and so, I thought, what about anal sex with women? Because I, that's what I was doing every time he kissed me or gave me a blowjob. I was imagining having sex with a woman. So when he was giving me anal sex, I was imagining giving a woman anal sex. So experiencing what the woman is. Why did you initiate that? Why couldn't you leave it at? Because I needed. Because I felt again, he was unhinged. So I had to play along with this fantasy. 
to let him to go along with my control. This is the only way, because he was far superior manipulation than I was. This guy was so brilliant was education. He was a genius, like, and he I'm was pretty much. I'm he, just he was it more than twice as old as me at the time. Right. He was 26 years older than me, so he had a lot more life so experience. He knew how to, how to manipulate people's minds, and I did. So the only reason I only one upmanship I had was that he was infatuated with my body. Right. And you never, and the whole time, you didn't at all think that you were bi. Um, well, again, I had that thing. No, but I, I realized that, no, I, the only time I ever experienced butterflies in my stomach were around women. I never felt that around guys. Right? Okay. I was never sexually attracted to guys like I am to women. Okay. And that's saying that now, saying from now, it's a spectrum. You know, maybe I'd say I'm 90% straight, 10% gay. Right? Okay. So it's it's not enough to be call me bi, but right. you know human sexuality is you know is complicated. Like sure. people are complicated. Sure. Tell a good story and anyone can get off. <laughs> I don't know about that. That seems to be leading. <laughs> As he said himself. If, if you just do a stimulus, a, a guy on a guy's dick, doesn't matter who's doing it, eventually he will come. Right. That's true. So it was, so really it was a relationship about power, control, and we were, and yeah. using sex as the tool to do that on from your part. You were using sex. Yeah. He was using mind control. Yes. Okay. Yeah, exactly. You got, you know that. Yeah. Did you ever feel guilty? I, I was just, that? I about, just. I mean, you felt guilty about what you were doing as not being integral to yourself, but did you feel guilty? Thank you. About him, like. That you were using, that you were manipulating him? Did you feel? No, I didn't because I felt he was, I was placing the, I felt angry at God. I felt I was in a difficult situation that uh, I, I, I felt I was just in a state of survival mode. I was, I was very psychopathic in that sense at that time. I was, I wasn't thinking about, I was just thinking of my own survival. And I believe psychopathy exists in all of us to one degree or, or another. And it's to recognize those times when you are acting in a psychopathic way. Can you tell the difference between how your mind was then and then when it started to change? And yes, you yeah, to yeah. Recognize? Yeah, yeah. After the two years with him, I was completely his bitch. I was completely under his... I was... So the manipulation that you were trying to work didn't work? No, no. I, I ended up being completely with him only I made it to Germany and that's when I that was my escape plan but I did not stay in Germany with this glorious career the damage was done I had HIV um, and uh, and my psyche was done I was unraveling at the scenes okay so now okay let's let's go back so you you've initiated uh, further sexual relations as a means to manipulate him and now you guys are in this a new type of relationship and he thinks that you are into him yes more than you are letting on yes 
And then, so does he fall deeper in love with you? Does he start making plans with you yes. that are different? Like yes. what happens? Yes, yeah, indeed, all that is true. I actually told him that I loved him. And this was, in a sense, I did, but not in the way he thought it was. But in a sense, I did. This was the point when I started becoming his uh, mental slave. I Like the, the um, Stockholm Syndrome was uh, starting to become complete then. That was the turning point. Okay, so what was he doing to break you down? Like, I, you said that, that he was flipping the roles with your parents. Yeah. And, but what else? He like, was challenging me in all different ways of thinking. On the cello, he was challenging me with musical ideas and, and everything in life. On everything we're watching TV or in a movie, I'd come up with a pine about something or something the way the world is, and then he would challenge me on that and debate me. He was a master debater, no pun intended, in school. Master debater. Yeah. Right. Um, so... Yeah. I forget that guy. What's that guy's name? I told you about it. Uh, what's his name? Oh, it's on the... Anyways, I'll, I'll look him up. Can I... Yeah. Yeah. I'll pause it, okay? Yeah. All right. Uh, well, here we are for a second part of uh, rock, and, rock and Roll. Rock Bottoms and Rock Operas. Rock and Roll, Rock Bottoms and Rock Operas, part two. It's beginning now. Go, Maha. <laughs> <laughs> Good evening, Tim. How are you, T? Um, I, I uh, was quite rambunctious today. That's what I, the word I was looking for. Had a lot of gumption. Um, did you start your day like that? Like, did you leap out of bed? Did you almost no, hit the No, no, slept until 12 a.m., 12 p.m. Oh. to noon, and then my partner and I had breakfast, and and then got a lazy start, and then I said, be there at 2, so she drove me to the to the TTC station, and um, when I got off, I was energized. To, no, no, before that, no. Went to, we went down to the garage underneath our apartment under the apartment building I fell I, I, I started I want to show off to her how good I could walk with my uh, new um, uh, ortho, orthodox, orthotics that I have on my feet to help with my stability cause talking about rock bottoms oh my goodness how uh, apropos um, yeah, I nearly died from AIDS in 2009 because I wasn't taking uh, HIV medications or seeing a doctor for 10 years. We can get into that if you like. That's more part of my... Uh, so this first, ep- second ep- part one and part two of rock and row, rock bottoms and rock operas is about my story, my spilling the tea. Um, so, and then from here on, it'll be other people and other topics. Remember, T means truth and and um, triumph. And I had another favorite, another a third one since we last talked. That was uh, a few days ago, Thursday, I guess. Now it's Monday. Um, that uh, T also stands for time, because time heals all wounds. As uh, so we. I, does I know, it though? Yes, it does. <laughs> you might have to. Di- you might have to die and be reincarnated a few times before you're actually healed. But 
<laughs> that's my opinion but my my current uh, opinion that's all it is it's I can't say it's truth I don't know anyway so where were we um, so anyway so I walk with uh, I had lower spinal cord damage from nearly dying from AIDS in 2009 so spent six months in the hospital and um, and so I uh, yeah, it just affects my lower ability to walk. So I walk with a cane, or and now I've got these orthotics that help me walk almost normal, like I can walk in normal fast speed if I want to. And if I'm limbered up, and uh, so I have spasticity, spasticity in my my lower leg, in my legs, and so that um, my walking is stiff and uneven. So I can't run, and. Um, and so uh, these ortho orthotics make it a more smooth, a smoother gait. And um, and anyways, I was a little too rambunctious, had a little too much gumption this morning. I wanted to show off, and I fell down, and I hurt my brace with my left hand, and I sort of bunged up my hand. No broken bones, but it's doing better now. But I was hurting, and then uh, coming back. I was, uh, I was 50 meters from downtown where uh, that channel is, where Maha is. I, um, I fell again, just on my foot caught some pavement and I fell down right on a, on a metal grid. So on my right hand this time, so I bunged up my right hand and some good Samaritans helped lift me up and helped me walk me to uh, that channel, to the door and I, I was good from there. But um, yeah, so I've been on, in pain these days, but Maha and Chris, they really healed me. Maha is also a Thai masseuse. I am indeed. Wow. You, you did that in Vancouver? No, in Thailand. Really? Oh my God. Where, where, where have you traveled? Oh, lots of places. Yeah? Yeah. Lots. Thailand, Cambodia, India, Mexico, uh, France, Switzerland. All across Canada, across the state, several times. Several it, like, times across Canada. What? All across the states. Fiji, from Hawaii, Cuba. Where else? Have South I America. Not yet. Africa. Not yet. Oh, okay. Cool. But I want to do long trips. I'm a very slow traveler. Me too. I yeah. like seriously. I like hang out. Yeah. I don't like just packing my bags and running. It's like. No, that's the, that's not traveling at yeah, all. Yeah, I know. For me, traveling, you want to experience the new, yeah, the, the other I, culture, how other people challenge, yeah, approach the I same problems in a different and way. Yeah, I coffee and Tasting their foods. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And then getting into really great conversations and making good friends. Actually, the more you travel, the more you want to travel. You learn so much about life. It's like, I didn't know you could do that same problem in a different way. And it's like, they do it better. And in some cases, they say, oh, we do that in Canada better. That's you know. true. I don't know if I look at that as much, but it is true. I mean, there are some things that people do better and worse. That's true. Yeah, I different mean, approach. Yeah. Like, uh, for me, I, I was really surprised in, in Western Europe. I traveled most in my life to Western Europe. And, uh, and it's the socialism, it, it actually works there. People are better educated. Um, and they treat their homeless people a lot better than we do in Canada. For sure. What do yeah. you think Canada does better? Um, well, we're sort of like uh, the peacock on the pirate's shoulder. 
being the, the peacock or parrot or the parrot I mean the parrot yeah on the parrot's shoulder being Uncle Sam and uh, so we're so we got close ear to the Is empire ear flat I don't know I better try it <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't like it no right no, I'm very picky with beer <laughs> what would you have dark beer or a good IPA Okay, I'm gonna trade that in because that doesn't taste good. Yeah, at that all. tastes like piss. Even for a wheat, that's a dark wheat beer or something. It's a red. It's a red, oh, okay. Yeah, that's one good thing. Europe does way better than North America's beer. Beer is way better. How do you feel about the. You, you... I mean, they have crappy piss water beer too, in my opinion. Like, most in Canadian or don't wanna offend anybody, but that's not my cup of tea. I like. Homebrew, like uh, on the darker side, more malty, and or good IPA. Mm-hmm. Anyways, off topic. That's fine. My next question was: we can always delete it. My next question was: how do you like the music? What music? Yes, music. I've really liked the music in the in the first episode and the episode up until now. This stuff. Not really my type cup of tea. No, right? Yeah, so maybe that's why we're losing the vibe of the episode because of the music. Yeah. That's life, right? Everything this affects is... everything, as Lauren Hill said. Yeah? Yeah. Remember that album, Everything Everything Is Everything? That song? Mm-hmm. That's true. Yeah. That was a good album. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're both about the same age. We, you know, we were in our 20s in the 90s. Yeah. We're gonna have to make some requests here. For okay. music? Yeah. Oh, okay. We're, we're yeah, gonna pause this, this is, right this now. This is not doing it for me at all. all. Right. I'm gonna bring music. So I'll stop it, okay? Okay. All right, not sure if we got that uh, last podcast. Still trying to figure out this app. But um, what we're talking about, we talked a lot about rock bottoms in all of its uh, various meanings. And um, and also there's been rock and roll. And we've ended episodes when the music here is gone kind of not so good. But now it's at least a little palatable. So we'll start the last segment. Um yeah, hopefully the second segment was recorded, but if not, whatever, say the beat. So this one is going to be about rock operas, part of the title. Mm-hmm. So your first question for me. Yeah, I was wondering, what were you envisioning your future as before all this happened? Like, did you have, did you want to play in an orchestra, like, or, like, did you have any ambitions besides just I mean not just besides just besides but I I know you wanted to to be a great on your instrument right mm-hmm. but like did you think that you were going to be a part of something you were going to lead something you had Well, one second. 
just ambulance goes away. A fire truck, sorry, fire truck. Um, yeah. I, uh, this is in the first movie of the Tetralogy, uh, of the cinematic version of my rock opera. So I did the first version in 2005. I started writing it in 2004 and um, recorded the music in 2004 and five for that version of Southern Time back then. It was a multimedia stage production that ran for seven nights in the December of 2005 in Vancouver. And, um, and, but it was always intended to be a cinematic rock opera like the Tommy's, uh, like Tommy's, uh, uh, no, the Who's Tommy, sorry. <laughs> or Pink Floyd's The Wall. Or um, Jesus Christ Superstar, but not really because I wanted it based on a real band. So I always wanted the Southern Time Band. And finally, I found the musicians here in Toronto for the Southern Time Band. But I had uh, paid musicians in the original stage production in 2005. Do you write all the music? Um... Yeah, I wrote all the music, yeah. But uh, for the cinemata cinematographic version, I want the band writing. There's a lot of music, because that's the tetralogy means four movies. And whether they be all movies, but they're four acts, basically. So whether they're streaming episodes on uh, some on online version, um, who knows. But we'll get to the medium when, it, when the opportunity arises. But at least the first movie I wanted as a film in theaters. Um, and this first film uh, shows from zero to 20, uh, shows how I uh, got HIV, basically. And yeah. And uh, their movies, they it's a docudrama, musical docudrama. So tell me, what was it like the first day that you found out that you had HIV? So let's go back to that other question, what drove me? Well, I was thinking before you, you I mean, obviously you had ambitions in music but I was wondering if you had something more than just ambitions yeah yeah music, yeah yeah right? yeah exactly like, and, and that was some people know young because because yeah and I didn't know I knew at 12 years old I wanted to be a musician uh, and I thought I was gonna be a classical musician at the time but what struck me the only thing I something from my dad that really stands out this memory to this day that he did not tell my other brothers because he saw that I was really good at academics were better than my brothers and I was really good at music two things that he could not do if he wanted to he was a great uh, handyman construction worker welder he very smart but not with academics or music and so he saw that I had talent great talent and so he told me that whatever you like a lot of I saw this in movies before this is what parents used to tell their children who they were concerned about because he was concerned that my head was always lost in space and you know he's a little bit faggy what's he gonna do in the world right you know he wanted to make his kids be hard on his kids to make them tough because he knew the world was tough it was tough for him so we wanted to make us hard so they were, we were resilient and which we are and um, and uh, and so he brought me aside this is I saw this in movies before the, 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 the guy the father says to the son he's concerned about he says whatever you do in life doesn't matter what it is be the best be the best of the best don't accept anything less right and uh, and um, and so that's what he told me and he told me the analogy of Genghis Khan 
uh, having a yoke on his shoulders growing up that then he end up being, uh, you know, building an empire. Um, so uh, that's what really stuck with me. That was the closest thing that came to fatherly love as a kid. That really stood out to me. He said that to me when I was eight or nine. And it was just like, because I came home and I, I remember it was because I had a good a report card. I had all A's and B's. So it's like none of us other kids had that. So, um, so anyways, that stuck with me. So I wanted, I thought I'd do that through classical music. So I never wanted to be in an orchestra. I, I wanted to be performing. And, you know, if you don't have the, the money and the means, you don't have the connections, um, then you're not going to be a performing uh, a musician. You're not going to be on the concert circuit unless you have those connections. Mm -hmm. Right from a young age, you have to be, you have to first, A, have a parent that forces you to practice at least three hours a day. And, uh, and then you have to um, get the attention of the inner classical music world. Like uh, some of the performing artists, their parents themselves were performing on the concert circuit themselves. So they right. had, they knew which teachers to send your kids to. A lot of the music teachers, like everything in life, you get amateurs, people who don't really know, aren't masters of the craft. You know, they don't really know. They're just spouting stuff. They think they remember what their teachers told them. But they're, they're not the best musicians themselves, you know? And you could tell the difference back then or no? Um, well, when I was 18, yeah. That's why it, what he was teaching me, I, I learned the cello completely ass backwards, right? And none of my teachers made sure that I did it right. And so, he, you know, that was that Prussian method. Break them down, then give them the goods. And he taught me the right way even though it was traumatizing. So, I remember I asked you this before. At the end of the day, is what you went through a good thing or a bad thing? It was what it, it is what it is. It, it, you know, it is what it was. So, I like myself now. You do or you don't? Yeah, I do. Okay, I'm in good. a good place. Yeah, and I am who I am. It's, Take it or leave it. I I understand that to give is better than to get. And by by loving other people, it comes back to you. And, you know, ways you don't in, in, expect it. It's instant karma. If you do something shitty, it's instant karma in a bad way. If you do something good, it's instant karma. You feel better about yourself. Right. But, yeah. So you had your two years with them. What happened afterwards? What happened? What happened when you found out that you were not well? Uh, that I had HIV. I mean, what even took you the, to the doctor's office? Um, because it happened in Germany. Like I said, I was unraveling, um, coming apart. I was losing my mind. Mm -hmm. For for someone who doesn't have, who has all their genetics working right. I was losing my mind. It was the stress was so much, and um, and so I, I broke down. My father had passed away a year earlier, and um, and so I didn't have that fear anymore. Because if I if I was lying to him, if it, my dad ever found out what was going on with the professor, my dad was a redneck. He would have he would come out there and shot him, and might have shot me or scared me off. Never disowned me at least, you know. Mm -hmm. he, he was he was racist he was racist against anybody not white and racist against Jews mm -hmm. 
Okay, so you're in Germany, and then what happens? So, my, I, I write a letter to my mom, and you know, telling her about the relationship what was really going on with the professor. And what and brought she, you to that point? Because I was losing my mind. I needed my mom. Okay. I, I needed some counseling, mm -hmm. even though I didn't agree with her Christianity at the time. I thought, you know, rebelling gets all that. I, I said, I give up. I, mm -hmm. I can't. I need some support. So I, I had I realized I'd be honest. Also because the professor was preaching at me about having integrity and being honest with yourself and others. Right. And he was lying to me about having HIV. So so that just just did a mind fuck to me. That made me so pissed off. Soon as I so I went, my mom told me to get tested because she heard from a friend of his that he had HIV. And uh, because she, that friend, uh, that mutual friend or acquaintance from my mom, but friend of the professors, suspected that he and I were being sexually involved, and so she was concerned about me. His other friend, that was not a friend of my mom's, but was a mutual friend of his, was, was my only confident, confidant for the two years that I was with him, was a, was a nurse, not a working nurse, but had, had worked as a nurse, and she never told me that he had HIV because she didn't want to be, betray his confidence. Wow. Because she, she very much had feelings for him, mm -hmm. and she would know that he would break off the relationship with her if she told me. So she knew that, and she knew that we, he was fucking me. And is this the first time that he, that even crossed your mind, or what? that you he, might be infected with HIV? Yeah, or he might be. Yeah, I trusted authority. You know, I thought the only authority to be my, feared back then was my father. And then I, I realized, then the professor, he totally lied to me too. And then I realized the 9/11 happened a few five years later, and I realized. Everybody, and then the pedophile priests, everybody, every authority in our world is, you know, psychopathic to a great degree. Okay, <laughs> let's reel it back a little bit here. <laughs> so your mom suggests that you go see a doctor. No, she told me to get tested. Right. And so I went and got tested. First test was positive. They say you have to do another test in two weeks to confirm. And... Uh, yeah. And now this is the first time you're even like considering it, experiencing it, like no, and no, I, it's, it's just realized. Oh, that's why I've been tired for the so tired for the last year. It all made sense, but that wasn't the worst of my worries. It's like, well, that destroyed me. That was at my pit. Like, right. like I'd, I'd been through so much uh, uh, trauma, mental trauma, and, uh, with the professor. You know, it's it. I just said this is a straw that broke the camel's back. Put uh -huh. it that way. And so I, I was only in the Hochschule for one semester. I only attended like two classes the entire. Uh, it was only three months. Start, wow! Start Everything October, that you did November. to get there. Yeah, it was only three months of school. Uh, they started in October there, and um, before the Christmas break. And then I, I flew home uh, for Christmas, and you know, it's like. My, that's first my brother knew about it you know my mom only knew a couple months before you know you know hey hey bro you know he's this macho guy you know it's like I just got AIDS they everybody called conflated HIV and AIDS with the same thing because HIV still was a death sentence and 
people's minds back then. So it's the same thing. If you have HIV, you're going to die from AIDS. Mm -hmm. But not isn't so nowadays. Uh, if you live in a first world country and get access, or, or you get access to affordable and free medications. A lot of third world countries have that now. That's good. So you go home, you tell your brother, and your mom already knows. How are you doing? I, I think my world's destroyed. It's like, I, I thought the doctors, the specialists said, uh, look, these new medications came out, protease inhibitors, that year, 1996. But we don't know how effective, they're promising, but we don't know how effective they would be. They eventually became, you know, a, a person with HIV can now live a normal li lifespan. And with, it's better to have HIV than diabetes if you have access to free and affordable medications. But, um, but back then, the medications had a lot of side effects. And, uh, and he, all he could promise me was 10 years. And I was 20 years old. So I was like, great, I only have 10 years to live. And maybe. And, uh, and no woman will ever love me again. What woman would want to be with somebody with HIV? They might get infected, right? Why, why, why would they want to, you know, have kids with me? Do we have infected kids? I thought, there's no, I'll never have love again. That was worse for me than dying young. And so I, he said, screw classical music, that dream's dead. So I said, I, whatever time I have left, I want to make a di positive difference in a world because I just had an inkling of it back then, the experience with the African-American gay professor and, and how painful someone can, ex how much trauma one can experience in life. And, uh, you know, and I and identified people with, more with people in the so-called third world, the developing world, than I did in the first world. You know, I thought these are people who know what pain is like. They suffer it every day. This is what I'm feeling like, right? And so I said, whatever I want to do, I want to make use of my talents with the story. I knew the story was powerful. I didn't know why. I didn't know that we'd eventually re reconcile the professor and I. Uh, um, but, but I knew that something was powerful there and I wanted to still use music. So I started to write songs and started to sing at uh, age, uh, just as I was turning 21. That's amazing. And what happened when you confronted him about that? Um, so I, I stopped talking to him as soon as I found out at Jebby in Germany. I cut off communication with him and didn't talk to him. Then he actually showed up at, in 1997, I started in the fall. Uh, uh, not even a year after I came back from Germany, I started teaching music in uh, a couple of music schools, private lessons. And uh, he, he barged in on a child lesson, knocked at the door, and as soon as he saw me, he hugged me. And I hugged him by instinct and by impulse, just by, you know, and he said, oh, so glad to see you. I missed you. And like, and then he said, uh, I said, oh, oh, I'll call you Wednesday. When's a good time to talk? Oh, I said, I'll call you Wednesday. He was in Vancouver for a recital or playing in a chamber group. And, um, and then on that Wednesday morning, I called him up and I reamed him out. I swore at the top of the lungs in a, like a demonic voice. I said, if you ever contact me again, I'm calling the police. And, uh, and then I never heard from him again until uh, 2007. This is two years after the rock opera. And, 
and a friend and my friend and my, friend and me were going to travel to Toronto, or I would end up just going on my own at that time. She went back to Vancouver, but she said that we should stop and see the professor because she realized that my uh, the story was blocked. Southern time was blocked. wasn't happening because I hadn't reconciled with the professor. So she knew in her good wisdom that you got to get over this guy. You're not free. You still you still hate him, right? And she realized that the only way to being free is to not be hating or you have to forgive, right? And that's um, wise. Yeah. And so that's what started. So I went there in 2007. I spent a month. She spent the first week with us. And then she had to go back to work. And then uh, and I spent three more weeks, a total of a month with him, living in him, with his house, not getting sexually involved. But we talked a lot. I, I, I wrote one song that's in the rock opera while I was there. And then I and then again, it was too much for me to take. Too, too much too soon. So I, I left again, day before his birthday. And... Um, and every time I left him, it broke his heart. He was so much in love with me, or the illusion of me. You know, he 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 worshipped me. You know, and uh, yeah. It's weird. The dynamics are very strange. Like, so I find it very amazing that you didn't confront him. If someone had infected me, I would have like opened fire. Oh, when we when it came back uh, in December '96, we uh, maybe after Christmas, I forget. Um, my my mom and I we uh, contacted the RCMP. Thank you. And uh, we. I think it was beginning of 1997, we contacted the RCMP and told them the story and in uh, Calgary police and uh, or RCMP and uh, or Medicine Hat RCMP I think and um, and we also contacted the Medicine Hat College where he worked at and let them know and they gave him a six month leave of absence, that's all they did and because he, he was breaking down himself with me cutting off the contact he started to lose his mind too and um and uh, but the RCMP said, "Oh, there's nothing we can do about it. Sorry, you could try a civil suit if they, you want." But the, and we didn't know that a year later. Well, it was actually later on in 1997. They um, the law changed in Canada. If you don't tell someone, uh, and it still remains the same till this day. No, there was some there was some movement movement on it. I'm not sure if they actually changed the law though. Last year, but. In 1997, they made it a considered it a, uh, aggravated sexual assault. If you if you do not disclose that you have HIV to someone, so a lot of people with HIV became criminals overnight and thrown in jail. And a lot of them happened to be black. But, yeah, a lot a lot of black males. They they tended to target black males with it. A lot of people suffering in jail for. And often the, the the charges were scurrilous. He said, she said, right? Right. You know, how do you prove that they, they did not disclose, right? They, they might just be wanting to get back at you. A vindictive partner, right? Vindictive ex, so you never know. So it's, I'm glad that that's being decriminalized, you know, but what he did with me was clearly criminal, right? Not telling someone you have HIV. He said, well, I always used a condom. 
but condoms break and they did at least twice with me you know so anyways so that's why I say don't trust authority don't trust government don't trust take everybody everybody's human everybody has the capacity to lie and deceive just take everybody as you are I know but it sounds like you're jaded and Teaching other people to be kind of jaded and no, no, like it no, all no, depends no, 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 on no, 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 no. who you consider authority and does it make everybody in authority uh, um, psychopaths? I don't no, know. No, no, just take everybody as they are. Actions speak louder than words. Take everybody innocent till proven guilty. That's how you should. But if somebody proves again and again they're psychopathic, that's not healthy to be around. Stay no, away from those not. people. And be honest with yourself. You have to be honest with yourself. Listen. Listen to the universe. Did how are people? How's how? How? What's that Instacarma saying to you? Am I? Uh, you know, why are people always mean to me? Am I being putting something off to them? Or or is it their problem? You know, you have to uh, introspection, self-reflection. Well, yeah, but at the same time, introspection and self-reflection is one thing. But if you're like, don't trust authority and like... No, you, and you, then, you have to take everything like, because I did. After, um, I took meds for two years, the, the HIV medications, uh, until 1999. And then I stopped them. I read a book by Dr. Duesberg, Peter Duesberg. Uh, he was nominated for a Nobel Prize in the 80s for cancer virus research and he came out in the 80s saying that he uh, HIV did not cause AIDS it was the gay lifestyle and the poor conditions in Africa that the reason people were people's immune systems were compromised and he became a par pariah of the mainstream medical pharmaceutical industry because you know who can make drugs off of that right Right. And, and so, you know, and this is like a, you know, recognized doctor until he said, came out with a differing opinion. And so I read that book and it became a, a HIV dissident or as we were called denialists. I wasn't denying anything. I just didn't believe HIV caused AIDS. I thought I didn't trust authority. Right. But for example, if you take anything to the extreme, it's dangerous water. Right. And so, and I didn't take AIDS, HIV meds or see a doctor for 10 years and I nearly died from AIDS. And I... Six so what do you off. think happened there? Hmm? What happened there? If, if you were like... Well, you, you know, in Uganda, well, mind creates reality. Well, because I was, I had isolated myself. My mom believed I was going to be going to die. She was a, she was a nurse and she thought what I was doing was insane, but she let me make my own decision. She respected my sovereignty and, uh, you know, and I was proven wrong. And, and now I have floor spinal cord damage, right? So it's, you know, you have to be humble and realize, be open to being seen things differently, right? And everything's more complex. You have to say, don't trust authority. You know, that's, if you take that to an extreme, right? that's, you have to use your head and use your, be open to the universe, use your heart, your intuition. Yeah. So now you're, okay, so in your story, now you, you're infected and you know, and you know, you, uh, what do you do? Like, you leave school, 
you leave him. Yeah, I went back to Vancouver, my mom's house, and uh, it was just her and I until '98. Uh, and, and, and since when? When when did you go see your mom? Yeah, so I came back from Germany end of '96, uh, okay. and then I stayed with her until, um, and it was just her and me in the house until beginning of uh, till February 1999. But she met my stepdad in 1998, in November 1998, or something like that, September maybe. And then, uh, and then they got married in February. And then she moved to his house, and I stayed in, in our house, and other people moved in the former pastors of our, of our, former pastor of our church. And um, he, he was living with his family there, and I was living with them, strangers in the house. and. Yeah, I, I, the first four years with a, HIV, I were very miserable. I was extremely depressed. I was, I really lost my mind in Germany, and it took me four years to get it back. So you got it back. I did. Yeah, yeah. And uh, what and, was and, the what was the most like? What oh, were the it steps? It took time to get it. Yeah. But so what? so after four years, I um, in uh, I finally got a job. I taught for two years, 1999. Then I took a break for. Uh, almost a year, I think, and then I then I got training, became a security guard for eight months, and uh, worked as that, and you know, totally different than music, and still composing and stuff, doing stuff on my own. Um, but but then I got married, like I went on first HIV dating site, I became aware of in 2000, and um, and I met a uh, positive lady from uh, Los Angeles, and she was a talker. And we talked on the phone. I racked up a $100 phone bill. Um, and uh, my parents' phone, or my mom and stepdad's phone bill. And they, uh, and after four or five days talking on the phone, I flew down to LA and she met me in the airport and spent the weekend with her, then flew back. I knew I wasn't attracted to her, but I was thinking, ah, I'll never find a girl again, so better suck it up, right? And um, so uh, we got married. She came to Vancouver for uh, over New Year's. She hated Vancouver, so you see, we're, we're, we're living in the United States. She was very bullish, very American, <laughs> as that stereotype goes. And um, and so I went down there, got married, so again, start working. Where did you live? In LA, in North uh, North Hollywood. And then uh, for um, six months, and then we moved to another outlying. There's like a hundred different suburbs around there. Forget the name. But um, and I worked as a security guard. And then she she was wanting me to lie on my resume. LA is so racist. Everybody is racist against everybody. Segregated, you know they and so violent. <clears throat> Such wealth disparity. Um, and uh, and. She, she wanted me to lie on my resume. She said, you'll get a job easily. Say that I was an internet uh, IT guy and knew how to c c uh, program and stuff, computers, and said, you make a lot of money this way. She wanted me to make money. <laughs> Don't do music. I didn't bring my child down. So I was with her for eight months. 9-11 happened when I was down there. Saw how, you know, rumbunctious Americans can be with their loyalty to their flag, <laughs> you know. Uh, the nationalism just blew my mind, and um, and um, yeah, and Think so that's the, a good thing. No, 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 and anything to the extreme. You know, I think people should be concerned about where they're living and how things are. They're treating their neighbor. 
Okay. Um, no, nation states mean there's brainwashing, nationalism. And let's go fight this country because the rich bankers want us to. That's insane. I know, but they weren't thinking that. No, they were brainwashed to thinking this is our homeland, this is what everyone else is doing, we should do this. You know, it's well, they were thinking we got to get back at the people that, you know, I know, the because, it, it, because it was great theater. Or really, yeah, actually, exactly. I, no, it wasn't. It was effective, so, effective theater, but yeah. very poor theater, actually. Yeah. Poorly done theater. Exactly. But I'm saying that, you know, the the people in general aren't to blame for thinking in no, the way that No, people do they the were. best they can, yeah. No, no, no. It's, it's the people that are blame are, you know, the brainwashers that way yeah the psychopaths that have been ruling a world for thousands for millennia that's the, who's the blame but we're partly to blame because we we believe it right no one can pull over the walls or yeah but i think you unless at least some part of you allows maybe, them to you know it's happened a few times like there was the george orwell scare right yeah. with uh, the radio and saying that aliens have landed and people freaked out right 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 yeah people are easily deceived people want to believe other people are not psychopaths most people aren't yeah i mean when i figured that out i was like no way i mean how long does it take you to believe that because you don't think like that so you can't understand that other people think right. like that right so uh, yeah so now you're married to this person then what happens so it lasted eight months and then I found out she, I had enough of this lying on the job and she, we were sleeping in separate beds and uh, then I just got, I wonder what she's doing because I didn't trust her. I was like, this person's, no, no, I don't want to spend my life like this. So I, I put a uh, program on our computer to find out, the typing program, you can find out what they're typing. I found that she was con corresponding with this uh, other HIV guy from the Netherlands. And they were going to get together. She was talking about she was she was working as a um, telephone person for a travel agency. Okay. So uh, so she wanted to travel. She never been out of the states, but she loved everything about the states. It was the best country in the world. But she wanted to see romantic places in the sure. world. Sure. Yeah. yeah. And so she had this guy. And so once I saw that, the next morning I drove her to work, and then I went back, I packed up all my stuff, I filed my portion for the divorce. Easy, so easy to get a quickie old divorce in California. Uh, I paid for it, her half too. I paid like 600 US. And then I drove straight back to Vancouver. 17 and a half hours, I was back knocking on my parents' door. And we're back. <laughs> <laughs> I'm back. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And, and then, because I, I wasn't able to do music for eight months, then I said, okay, whatever money I had left, I must I had uh, quite a bit, because I bought a $5,000 keyboard, and, uh, and, um, and then I, I decided, I found out that I could get on welfare with, or disability in BC, British Columbia, and so I, I did that, and I worked part-time, got a uh, part-time job work delivering groceries got some cash money plus disability I was doing all right I lived downtown for four years and that's when I started becoming creative started joining bands started and started recording my songs and and then I got the idea for the rock opera and wrote the first act of the rock rock opera 
and then uh, put it on. Produced it in six months. That's pretty amazing. It sounds like your death sentence didn't plague you as much as I thought. I mean, if that were me, I don't know. I would have fallen apart. Yeah, well, like the first four years, I was a complete mess. I was like a walking zombie. I, I did not... My head was in the completely in the clouds, you know. And um, yeah, but then my latter half of my twenties, yeah, I rose. I made something. Put the rock up on when I was 29, 29 and a half. And um, did the music just come to you, or did you work at it? Like what happened? Oh, How did you do it? Oh yeah. So the songs from Rock Up were were written over the last. Um, the last one is still to be written together as a band. That's the final. Do you remember the inception of the idea? Oh yeah, yeah. Doing? The first song I wrote was called Southern Time, and that was because I. This was a um, after. So I came home from Germany in December 19th or something of 1906, and then uh, then um, I guess I started writing. Started thinking about writing songs in end of January and then just as I was turning 21 before I turned 21 I wrote the first uh, stanza and the chorus of Southern Time and the song and um, yeah the first first and second verses haven't changed it's still the same the third and fourth verses they changed evolved over the years yeah, but what was it like were you like when did the, oh, the yeah, idea the, the come to you? inspiration, yeah. So I, I, like I was saying, I still wanted to do something, make the world a better place. So I, I saw a documentary on John Lennon and, uh, and, and about the 1960s. I forget what it was, but about there was the cultural revolution that was happening back then and about how music had the potential to change the world. That was the idea. And so I said, what kind of poetry, what kind of music would I do? And that's something that came from that. So, yeah, then the melody and the words, they come together pretty much at the same time. Nice. And so the, the other songs were just inspired by different events that occurred. And that follows the docudrama, follows that. And, um, yeah. So then how did you come to the place of forgiving your prof? So, yeah, so our first connection after the fallout was 2007. Spent a month with him and then cut that off until... I uh, got out of the hospital in 2010, or I got out of the hospital in 2009, six months, but then I started Skyping with him in uh, spring of 2010 and uh, talked to him on and off for about three months. And, uh, and then I stopped it again, it was too much for me to take. And, and then he, after that, he had another fallout. He, he discovered he had diabetes, but he smashed one of the college's vans. That was the last time he worked for the college. Um, he blacked out while he was driving on the highway. And he wasn't physically hurt, but they put him in the psych ward because he was hearing voices and he was, you know, you know and... Diabetes can cause that? No, 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 no. They found out he had diabetes. That's why he blacked out. That was the... Right, but what about the voices? The voices, yeah, no, they known that he had schizophrenia or schizoaffective disorder but that's when they really give it to him he gave his power of attorney away to his team uh, four or five people in his friends and family group um, so he gave his ability to make decisions he's basically for the next few years he eventually got it back uh, before he died and um, 
yeah, and the, and but then I start talking to him again. I think in 2012 for a few months, and then I uh, stopped. It's on and off again until finally 2017, the last year and a half of his life. We were talking on a on a, a pretty much every daily basis. And how'd you feel? It was great when we finally he finally apologized. He wasn't apologizing before 2000. Uh, I think. 2016 or 17, I forget when, but around then, he finally apologized. And he has tears in his eyes, and so I knew, and I knew it was. You're a very forgiving person. Huh? Well, I hated him for years. I wasn't forgetting, but him, and it was only hurting me. So uh, you know, it's just like I gotta allow him to. And he was, he wanted to. It takes two to tango and two to tangle. Sure. You know, to 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 reconcile. Right. Can't be one-sided. So that you know, that's a beautiful thing, and he really felt bad what he did to me, and he 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 f- s- stopped obsessing about me. It was no longer, I never had to be his anymore, and uh, and he saw me as who I was, and he he really matured in his last years. He became, he so his style think- of teaching was totally different. He was no longer the the authoritarian. He was completely. He was like a voice whisperer. He taught me to sing, not only the cello, he taught me to sing too. It's pretty amazing. I don't know if I would be able to do that knowing that just one person has affected my life so much. I don't know if I would be able to give that much power over to someone and after if I had already given that much power over to someone I'd be really pissed at myself or really pissed at that person so I don't know how I would well yeah yeah no it was a journey it took from from the additional two years of trauma it took until 2007 it took 20 years 97 to 2017 that's quite the journey. Yeah, it doesn't yeah. sound like it, but it is, right? 20 yeah. years. Yeah. And, you know, it wasn't just my life that was destroyed. His life was too. After I stopped contact in 96 with him, his life fell apart too. You know, he had, he had a slow decline. For me, it was like, oh, it's over. And then it started to rise up again. But for him, it was a big drop. He was at the pinnacle of his career when he was with me. And, and then it started a big drop, another big drop, and the big drop until he, he eventually died last year. If you could do it over again, would you? Yeah. You would? Yeah, yeah. This was my life's purpose, my raison d'etre. You know, was to experience this and then to tell the story. That's how I see it. Yeah, because it's, it's a story how two opposing sides apparently opposing sides can make amends and get together, right? And so, is there anything you would change? No. It, it was what it was. There's no sense worrying about what could have been. And you just accept things as they are. You know, it's not worth, worth time. And what's your future look like? Hmm? Well, I'm going to be a father in February. 
2020? Hopefully on my birthday. Ah, uh, yes. February, <laughs> February 16th? 23rd. 23rd, okay, okay. <laughs> Remember that. Yeah, okay. Be like, wait! <laughs> <laughs> Alright, remind me again, I'm not the best <laughs> yeah, with retaining, yeah. retaining numbers and names. Unless it really has impact on me, then I will. <laughs> we'll have impact damage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, so what's your future look like? What's next? So, for you? um, so uh, this is the, the happy ending to, you know, this is a happy mo movie ending. made in, uh, in North America. So, so, any movie has to have a happy ending for it to go down well in Hollywood, I guess. And that's what I want for the Southern Time Tetralogy. And so the first step of the tetralogy for the Make This Dream Come True so is that uh, the characters, my character's name in the, in the trilogy, in the tetralogy, sorry, started out as a trilogy, now it's a tetralogy, um, is a dreamer. And so for dreamers, dreams to come true means that he's able to, um, his childhood dream of being the best of what he does. You know? Okay. So what I'm doing is very original. <laughs> so who's it going to imagine? Took the easy way out. Um, <laughs> <laughs> There's only me, guys. There's only me. <laughs> only one person's done this, as far as I know. But it's, but as you know, as soon as you invent something new, somebody, two other people around the world have done it at the same time. <laughs> Definitely. Um, uh, yeah, to, it's, it's to get the Southern Time Band famous. That's the first step with the Overture album, Lost in Love No More. That's the first step. June, end of June uh, 2020, I want it released. And our world tour to begin from there. So that will cost about a half a million dollars. So I'm uh, gonna be looking, working, working right now. Starting, uh, starting right now. It's already met uh, somebody who's gonna help me, a veteran producer is gonna help me with this task. Um, do a, a great amount in a short time and then uh, and my goal is to have the first movie of the Tetralogy in theaters. Uh, this is why it needs to be done by a major studio in Hollywood. Any listeners out there no one might know, give me a shout out, oh, please. Um, then in theaters by December 2021. Because the, the four movies will occur over the, to the 2020s. And, um, and part of the Southern Times mission Southern Times mission and the Southern Time band's mission because I'm not the only HIV positive member of the band also one of our backup singers is HIV positive all openly HIV positive is to help raise awareness about the current state of HIV in our world and, and AIDS HIV and AIDS to two separate things and the UN AIDS goal there's a section of the United Nations called UN AIDS is, is to, uh, to end AIDS by 2030 so that, because there's no reason why there should and be And there are lots of other things that are going to happen by 2030. Oh, yes. <laughs> well, we'll get into that more on Spill the AIDS Tea. and yeah, mega know. cities and yeah, yeah. the end of civilization is And end of human, the <laughs> beginning of transhumanism, right. which is what? Being controlled by Borg mentality. So uh, I just want to ask, do you have a single that you can release or like, how do no, people no, right get now. to know you? No, Southern how Time. Do, you know, how are you going to build the familiarity platform? Uh, so uh, with this producer, we're going to, his suggestion is that we start doing fundraisers, concerts with uh, one or two other band members. Um, 
in, locally in Toronto. Uh, we have to raise about at least a hundred grand Canadian by um, by January 2020 because we want to start recording the album in 2020. So I don't want to give any signals singles away, but you can hear demo versions of uh, of uh, one of the songs on the album and on SouthernTimeBand.com. SouthernTimeBand.com, all one word, Southern Time Band, and. Um, and, and on southerntime.ca, that's our the, uh, Southern Time Productions website, um, you can hear, uh, I think there's one other song that will be on the Overture album. That one's Neville. And, um, oh yes, no, yeah, just Neville's on there, yeah. But, um, yeah. So, so that, that, and the song on southerntimeband.com and southerntime.ca is going to be the the opening song of the album uh, Lost in Love No More the title song is going to be called Lost in Love how are you going to find the time for all that you got going on hmm? oh uh, yes good thank you this the bills good thank you um, is uh, oh yeah so T does not I figured out I think I've mentioned this before but T does not only stand for truth and triumph but also time and that's what you said. How am I gonna find the time? And uh, and I just say, God will find a way. Okay, that's fine with me. Yeah, you just let, let let go, let God. You know, I'm not worrying about it anymore. For years, I was. Oh my God, I have to become famous before 30. No one will want to be, follow someone who's over 30. <laughs> that's impossible to become famous. And that's why I wanted to do the rock opera before I was 29. And then after I did that stage production, it's like, what next? I didn't have the experience to make this thing a reality. Thank you. But now, as 43-year-old, it's like, you know, it's, it's a story that goes beyond age. It's, you know, and... Um, The youngest member of our band so far is uh, 32, and that's other HIV positive singer. So maybe we're still looking for two more backup singers that do not have to be HIV positive, but um, I would like at least one of them in their 20s, so that we can uh, relate to that demographic or have them relate to us. So that's that's the rock opera part of this first episode. Mm-hmm. Rock and roll. Rock bottoms and rock operas. Yes, that's it. It's good. I'm glad that you are you. I mean, I mean, it's amazing to be a musician of such caliber and be able to write pieces like that. I mean, I can't even imagine. And yet also be forgiving and overcoming is another like dimension altogether which I know I mean maybe I have it in me but I'd have to be really pressed to find it because I retaliate easily you know or maybe I mean you said 20 years and that's a long time but forgiveness is key to healing definitely that's what we're taking away from this. Right. Yeah, that's the only way to triumph. 
is for well you have to it takes truth um, and time to triumph <laughs> truth and time you have to be truthful with yourselves with yourself and others and um, yeah and sometimes you have to press the press for the truth you have to call out the victimizers on their victimization you know right but there's really also no victimizers without victims too right mm-hmm so taking the blame there too yeah and and for for me with the professor like I had to acknowledge that I was psychopathic in many ways too he was being psychopathic in ways and I was you know and not until we could admit that to ourselves and each other you know that we started to realize hey we're we're just human you know psychopathic humans yeah that's the way we were built I think I think that's the Nephilim or the uh, what do you call them the Anunnaki <laughs> they they put a little of, the, of themselves into us well there you have it we're psychopathic human Anunnaki's <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, love yourselves and, you know. Love your psychopath. Yes, love your inner psychopath. Come to peace with them. And, uh, you know, just accept your as you are. Just if, admit if you, it, you're crazy. Yeah, if you try to deny it, you only make do damage. You, you know, you have at least acknowledge what you are. That's that's the main thing. Then you, then you can, you know... Then the truth shall set you free and you can go around being the Anunnaki you were born to be. Yes. (laughs) The good Anunnaki. All right. That's a good sign off. All right. Take care, everyone. And uh, tune in next time for more fun. Hopefully we'll have a guest on. Rock and roll. Or some more rock. We might think of doing... uh, Yes, maybe maybe the first... um, Our first uh, fundraiser for the album. Thank you. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Ciao.